0: Alright, we're going to go to John 18, and uh, in the story that we're going to read in John 18 today, we're actually going to piece together a couple uh, of different chunks here that are, for us, one story that John the Apostle, as he writes this, separates it, but uh, I think it'll make some sense as we get into it this morning. And speaking of stories, uh, I want to start off with a story this morning, uh, a true story. kind of goes like this. It was a A Tuesday morning, a normal Tuesday morning, uh, bright, sunny spring, April morning, and uh, a teenager, as often is the case, was having a difficult time getting up out of bed. Uh, Mom came up to the room and roused this young lady named Cassie out of bed, and uh, it it was a difficult time for her to get out in the morning or whatever, just tired and late night and all that kind of stuff. Um, but eventually, she got up and she got out and she got to school and started about her normal school stuff, just like a regular old day, much like many of you experienced those days this week. Just a normal everyday, my normal routine. So she went to homeroom and went to a class and whatever. Everything was standard and no signs of anything different until about eleven fifteen. And about eleven fifteen. She was in the library with a lot of other people. And the teacher in charge of the library got up and said, everybody needs to take cover. Find some place to hide. And so with panic spreading across the room and disbelief, students started to look for bookshelves to hide behind or whatever. And Cassie and somebody who was at her table dove under the table they were sitting at and decided that that's where they would hide. A few short moments later, Two students entered with guns, with bombs, with grenades, with pretty much everything they could get their hands on to kill people. In 1999, this was unimaginable. I know it's become kind of standard, but in 1999, this was mind-blowing. That two high school men would walk into the school they attend with guns and bombs and look to kill people. One of them walked into the library, got to the table where Cassie was hiding under. And there's disputes about exactly what happened, but witnesses that were there said this immediately after the incident. They said that the the young man named Eric came to Cassie and put a gun to her head and said, Do you believe in God? In that moment, what did Cassie think was at stake? Her life. Say yes, and it's the end. Say no, and I can just go on about my day. Whether that was true or not, not really the point. The point is, with a gun to your head, what do you do? If the time comes to stand up and confess Christ or to deny Him to save your life, what do you do? There are people in our world today that are facing that. There are hundreds of Christians who have been put to death, beheaded, shot this year around our world with the question put to them just like a high school student in a high school in Colorado 16 years ago. Do you believe in Jesus? Say no, we'll let you live. Renounce your faith and you can live. Say yes and you are lying. Witnesses say what they heard after the question was Cassie who did not seem to hesitate but quickly said yes. And her yes was immediately followed by a gunshot that ended her life. Along with others that died that day, Cassie was someone who died, declaring her faith in Christ. And it challenges us. What would you do in that situation? If your life was on the line, I think we all hope that we would stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. I, I hope that I would. And we can say, Well, that's coming, you know. There are people who tell me all the time, that's coming to America. I don't know if it is or it isn't. I'm not a prophet that way. But I know this. Every single one of us face the choice every day about whether we're going to deny Jesus or whether we're going to live like He is who He says He is. We live denying or testifying to Jesus every single day. We could hope that at the end of our lives, if, if there were that moment where we had to stand up and lay down our life for Jesus Christ, that we would do that. But I would just hope that right now, today, when my life isn't on the line, when it's just my reputation or just my sense of comfortableness or just a friendship or what people think about me, that I would still have the boldness to stand up and say, my life belongs to Jesus Christ. I believe in Him. I believe who who He says He is is who He is. And I've put my faith in Him. He leads me. He's the Lord of my life. How many times during the week do we have the opportunity to testify to Jesus Christ? And we back up. We find a a quick and easy way to slip out, to to fade into the shadows instead instead of standing up for Him. But I have another concern that goes right along with that. Not just with testifying explicitly about Christ, but do you realize that your life is a book that people around you are reading every single day? And what they're reading is what you believe. What do you believe? They don't, they don't, just like you wouldn't, they don't trust what you say. They trust what you do. They trust how you live. That's what really testifies to what you believe. And so every single day, we all find ways to deny Jesus because we simply live like Jesus isn't who he says he is. Inside and out, we live like he isn't who he says he is. We've read in the book of John, Jesus said he's our shepherd. And he said that on purpose to give us a picture of what he does. A shepherd who watches over the sheep. Who guards them with his life. Who lays down his life for them. Let me ask you, do you live every single day like Jesus is your shepherd? Or do you live like your life is up for grabs and it's all up to you? Right? Do you, when, when G we've, we've read in, in Uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us the Father hears us when we pray, that he listens to us, that his ear is towards us, and that he will answer us. Do you live every day like what Jesus said is true, that the Father listens to you? Or do you find yourself inside trying to find a reason to catch God's attention, to make God like you, to make God listen to you, to convince him that what you're saying matters? Jesus has told us that we have a guide inside of us, the Holy Spirit that will come and live in us. Do we live like we have a guide? Or do we live like we have to find our own way? How do we live? When we live like Jesus lied, we, in essence, deny him with our life. And so today, is your soul constantly troubled? Or do you have a storm inside of you all the time? Well, Jesus said he is our peace What's going on? Do we live in wounds from the past? Our failures, our mistakes, our bondages? Jesus said he's the healer. He's the restorer. He said if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Do we live like he's true or like he's a liar? Do we deny Jesus or do we witness to his faithfulness? Do I live like it all depends on me? Do I look forward to my week and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week because I'm just worn out before it even begins? Or do I listen to what the Word says when it says, in my weakness, He is... What? Oh, you know it. Do we live it? Am I, do I believe that as I feel weak, I'm like, that's all right, it's not my strength anyway. It's His strength. Do you know what I'm saying? The reality is we have a choice in every minute whether we live like what he says is true or not. Do we live like when you want to go have fun, you got to go live like the world. You got to go party like that's where the fun is. Jesus told us he's our source of joy. You know, you are joy, you are joy. You are the reason that I sing. Is he? Or do I have to say, now Jesus, I'm going to have some fun for a while. You stand off here to the side because you're not my joy. How do we live? What we acknowledge with our songs, with our mouths, must be lived out with our lives, both internally and externally. Some people have the external pretty good. They can talk a good game, and they make sure that everything looks right, and they do everything right, and they do their bad stuff behind closed doors. So the external looks good, but the internal's a mess. Man, if Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of your inside too. He's Lord of the secret and the dark moments too. Some people have the inside all worked out, but it never comes out, you know? I'm okay in here, but I just don't want anybody to know. Man, there is no such thing in the New Testament as somebody who kept Jesus to themselves. Everybody in the New Testament shared Jesus with everybody they bumped into. Many of them died for it, but the world was changed because of it. And so we must acknowledge with our lives what we say with our mouth, because we are witnesses of him. Everything that I do testifies to what I believe. Every word, every attitude, every action, every viewpoint, every value system says to people, this is what I believe about Jesus. Either I think he was a liar or I I believe and I put my trust and my faith in him. He is exactly who he said he was. We're going to read a story about denial today. It's a story about Peter denying Jesus, and he did it three times. And it's a little bit hard to get your head around. As John gives us Peter's betrayal, bold, stand up, can't stop him. Peter is cowering from some simple questions. Do you belong to Jesus? Are you with him? And I think as we read this, what I'm hoping is that we can notice some of the ways that we wind up denying Jesus, even when we never thought we would. Do you think Peter thought, this is the night I'm going to pretend I don't know Jesus? This is the night I don't want anybody to know that Jesus has any... I'm just going to keep it a secret. Do you think Peter thought that? Right up to the moment when the words came out of his mouth, he probably thought it would never happen to him. How do you get there? What's going on? I hope that as we read this, you dig a little bit into, into Peter's head and say, what's going on in him? I mean, he had just pulled out a sword in front of hundreds of soldiers and said, let's go. Hours before this... So why is he here? Now, no, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. I don't belong to him. What happened? Is he hurt? Is he confused? Is he angry? Is he deflated? What, what is it? So pay attention as we go. We're going to try to look at some of the ways we work our way into denying Jesus. We're going to look at it as three different denials. And so there's just a couple verses for each one. So the first denial we find in John 18, verses 15 to 17. So read along with me. Here's what it says. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Now, just to kind of cross the bridge here, as you, as you think about Peter. Dark night, we're probably talking about middle of the night, maybe 3, 4 in the morning. It's been a long, long night. Long enough that he fell asleep several times in the garden when Jesus was praying with him. A long night, right? And it's been a hard night for him. But I don't think any of us have a confusion about whether or not Peter was straight on who Jesus said he was. You think Peter knew who Jesus said he was? Matter of fact, Peter was one of the first people that that's declared boldly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, uh, just earlier in the evening, you can rewind back to John 13, but it's earlier that evening, had said, Jesus, I won't deny you, I will die with you. I'm ready to lay down my life for you. But then this whole night had happened, and it was all confusion and chaos and mixed up. And in some ways, what Peter thought he was ready for, it turned out that he wasn't ready for because life really surprised him. Jesus' path really surprised him. And I think sometimes when, when we react in ways that aren't what we would expect of ourselves, it's because life surprised us. We thought we were ready. We thought we were prepared. But turns out, we weren't. Turns out our strength wasn't as big as we thought it would. I mean, this night, if you can imagine the piling up of these things, he sees one of his best friends betraying his best friend, Judas, betraying Jesus with a kiss. When he thinks it's time to fight, Jesus instead surrenders to these soldiers. Then when Peter says, no, I think you're just testing me. I'm going to fight. Then Jesus tells him, put your sword away. What are you doing, Peter? And scolds him. You can imagine that this was just a flood of things Peter never thought he had to deal with. He was reeling from all this. And when we're stunned at what shows up in our lives, we are kind of set up, we are kind of like on the pathway or ready to do something that denies our connection to Jesus because we're unsure. Everything we thought we knew for sure seems to fall through and everything we thought or we believed is kind of up for grabs again. So the story starts like this. Peter, still following Jesus, still looking for a way to stay behind him as Jesus goes. And you can kind of picture from uh, the Mount of Olives, this group of soldiers with Jesus, uh, is some kind of like his hands bound and whatever, walking down with the, the leaders of the chief priests and they are delivering him to the chief priest's house, to the high priest's house. And he take, he's taken into a courtyard. And as he goes into the courtyard, Peter with his other disciple at the back. We're not told who the other disciple is. Some people have guessed, and, and when I first read it, I was like, I think that's Judas, the, the disciple known to the chief priest. That sounds like Judas to me in the story. Um, and it can be, it could possibly be. It just doesn't really make any sense, especially with how John is telling this, that John wouldn't mention that this was the betrayer. He's, every single time John has mentioned Judas in John, it's been Judas, the one who betrayed him which you can get, you know, when you're one of that close-knit group and he's the one who betrayed, you mention it pretty much every time you talk about him, right? There's another disciple in the book of John that's never mentioned by name, and it's the Apostle John who's writing the book. He's the disciple that Jesus loved, or the other disciple. Could be him, but this disciple was known to the high priest, and many people have made the case that John had a priestly background and there was some connection there. We don't know. The point is, that's not the point. The point is, in this scenario, that... John does not name that disciple, but the disciple, whoever it is, whether it's one of the 12 or one of the the larger group of disciples, this disciple either works for the high priest or whatever, has a relationship, but somehow when it comes to the gate and some people are allowed in, this guy's allowed in, but Peter is not. Peter has to stay on the outside. And I think that to me is, is maybe the biggest thing that I take away from this first denial. Because Peter is on the outside looking in. It's the same word, the courtyard is the same word that's used for the garden of Gethsemane. It's an enclosed space with with limited access and Jesus comes out of the garden. Up on the hill, up on the mountain, on the Mount of Olives, Peter belonged in. He was in, he was part of the disciples. As a matter of fact, he was part of the three that went off kind of separately with Jesus. He was on the in, in group up there. He belonged with Jesus. He belonged with the disciples. But now he comes down to the chief priest's house and he doesn't belong. And the gate is closed in front of him. And he, needs, he wants to go in, but he's not. he doesn't belong in. And a lot of times that's how we find ourselves in real trouble. We deny Jesus by looking to get into places that we don't belong. Places we have no business being a part of. Friends, groups of friends, we have no business being a part of that group of friends. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have something like that inside of you, and you already know the voice of it, right? It's as you approach a scenario, a situation, a group, a place, and you're like, I shouldn't be here. This is not for me. This is not something I should be doing. And we have a choice about whether we're going to allow that want to be in to drive us, or whether we're going to acknowledge this is not somewhere I belong. Peter's on the outside looking in, and he's left out, and he wants a way in. He wants to keep following Jesus, he wants to be close, he wants to see what's going to happen, but he doesn't want to be exposed as a follower of Jesus. And so he's on the outside looking in, and the the other disciple comes out and, and asks him, finds a way for him to come in. The reality is, as believers, when you have to talk yourself into something, you already probably know that you shouldn't be doing it, right? Like I, I do this a lot when, when I'm talking with somebody and we're counseling, and I and let you talk for a while and we'll, we have a discussion or whatever. But can, you're coming at me with, I, I have this choice and I have this choice and I and I really want to do this and I really want to do this, but you know I know it's probably not a good thing and I know. It, and as you're talking, I don't even have to say anything. It's like, yeah. Exactly. Good point. You already know you shouldn't do it. You just want to. You feel like the forbidden is the temptation that says to you, but I have to have that. Listen, don't fall for that. What what happens when you long for something that your soul knows you should have no part of is you are set up to live denying Jesus. You are set up to live like you have no part in Jesus Christ. To testify to people, to say it even. When you are on the outside looking in. Some things are positive that you talk yourself into, some things are negative. You know, a good thing that that may be a good thing, but you have to talk yourself into doing it because you really shouldn't be doing it even though it's a good thing. Sometimes it's bad things. You have no place going there, but you're going to talk yourself into, well, I'm going to be a witness, you know. It's amazing to me how many times I watch teenagers have, have witnessing relationships with people. You know, I'm going to date this person. They don't know Christ, but I'm going to be a witness to them. Oh, I didn't know that was the purpose of dating. I've, I've, I guess I I lost on that day of class on, you know, the purpose of dating, witnessing. Oh, good. So we talk ourselves into things, but we give a good rationalization. We give ourselves reason for why it's going to be okay. The reality is Peter is on the outside with a gate closed in his face because that's where he belongs. But he wants to get in. I wonder, as people look at you, and they watch what you do, they watch the choices that you make, what do you, does what your life say to them, say you belong as part of their normal flow, or does it say something's different with you because you're connected to some other way of life? The disciple that, that was known to the high priest is let in. There's no question about his loyalty to the high priest or something, but Peter is someone different, and, and The question that gets asked, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the question that's asked in verse 17 is, first of all, asked from a servant girl, and second of all, is asked in the negative. You're not one of his disciples, are you? And and that's trying to capture the way that the original language is written there. The original language is written so that the question will be asked, and it expects you to say no. That's what it expects. It expects, this girl expects Peter to say no. Why does she expect Peter to say no? Because he doesn't belong there. In other words, she's like, if you were a disciple of Jesus, you wouldn't be coming in here. So you can't be a disciple of Jesus, right? Something about you looks like a disciple of Jesus. You don't look like you fit, and yet you're coming in. So, But you, if you're coming in, you're not a disciple of Jesus. What you're doing doesn't fit what I know about you. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of question, that kind of like... There's a a moment of truth that shows up for Peter. He's ready to swing a sword and to fight and kill for Jesus to protect himself with a sword. But this moment doesn't require a sword. To protect himself here, all he needs is a lie. And it comes out quick. No, I don't know. The servant girl comes to him and says, with, with really no power to do anything to him, no real threat to Peter, she says, are you a disciple of Jesus? You're not, are you? And in a, in a moment, Peter has a decision to make. And his decision is to deny Christ. Why does he deny Christ? What is that thing that's happening inside of him as she asks him, are you a disciple of Christ? What is the experience inside of him? You know it. you felt it. That moment of truth comes. And what stops you? What holds you back? Fear. Why would Peter be afraid of a little girl? He wasn't afraid of hundreds of. Why would.? Because here's what's happens. First off, he's, he's unsettled. Secondly, he wants into a place he knows he shouldn't be in, so there's a battle inside of him. And thirdly, he does what many of us do. It's amazing how fast your brain can process fear scenarios, right? You can come up with hundreds of bad outcomes for this thing in a split second. It's like a superpower, right? <laughs> And so Peter hears this girl ask him a question and without even stopping to think about the ramifications he just says I don't know because he thinks in his head if I say yes then people will know that I'm part of him maybe they'll arrest me maybe I won't be able to save Jesus he goes all the way down this road with fear scenarios but what he does is the same thing you and I do he starts to fear what he shouldn't he starts to fear what he won't even care about later on and he stops fearing what he will He will fear what doesn't matter and forget to be concerned about what will. And that's what temptation does to us. Jesus said in Luke 12 to his disciples, don't be afraid of men because the worst they can do to you is kill you. And then then they're done. That's it. Well, they can kill me. It's a matter of life and death. Jesus said, listen, if it's only about life and death, don't sweat it. Because there's much bigger things about this life than life and death. We don't live like that, do we? You hear about a sickness or a disease that comes up and it consumes you. Jesus said, life and death, it's just life and death, folks. There's a forever that's coming. You're going to live about this life or you're going to live about forever? What? What are we going to testify to as true? That this life is all that I have and I got to hold on to it with everything I got? Or like there's a life coming that will make this thing fade into oblivion. What am I going to live like it's true? And so in that moment, Peter is driven by fear. He sets faith aside. He is more sure of what it feels like and what it looks like than what he had believed and even declared before. And I would say, I've heard this rule of thumb many times, and I think it's a really good rule of thumb. There are moments in your life where God speaks to you, and you're sure, and it's clear, and you feel like you're on solid ground. Then there are moments to come, the waves sweep you off your feet and everything feels like it's up for grabs, and you don't even know which way's up. What period of time do you think would be a better period of time to make decisions in? But we don't act like that, do we? As soon as we get unsettled, it's like, oh, I got to doubt everything I ever knew. Listen, let's be wise. I've heard it said a couple different ways. I've heard it said, don't undo in a moment of doubt what God has showed you in a moment of certainty. When God has worked in your life and you know for sure that you know for sure, then trouble comes, there's a normal human experience of like, what does this mean and what is it? Don't undo in a moment of doubt what God has brought you in certainty. At least believe that God's faithfulness is enough to believe this. If God was clear enough with you for you to make the decision in the first place, he will be that clear for you to unmake the decision. Do you know what I mean? He's not just going to swirl around darkness and cloudiness and say, I hope you get it right. If he was clear, if he was God enough to make it clear the first time, he's God enough to make it clear the next time, right? I've heard it said like this Don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. Because if we turned all the lights off here, you were like, wow, I can't see a thing. Because you can't once you turn the lights off, you can't see a thing. If you couldn't see a thing, would you start to wonder? if we were still in a room, right? If there was, you know, I wonder if this thing has a ceiling. No, you can't see it, but you don't, just because it's dark, you don't start doubting what you saw. You remember what you saw and you know it's still there. That's the same principle, right? The other way I've heard it said is don't dig up in a moment of doubt what you planted in faith. God gave you a choice. God gave you a decision. God gave you a step of faith and you put it down in the ground. And then something happened that you didn't expect or didn't grow fast enough and you're digging it up like, what's going on here? I don't understand. Leave it be, right? Let things be settled. Let things be true and let that be the end of the story. For Peter, life has thrown him a curveball and everything's up for grabs. Of course, we know this is what Jesus predicted. You will deny me this night before the cock crows. And that's what Peter did. Because Peter's boast was made about his own strength. And anyone who boasts in their own strength is going to fall flat on their face. And that's what Peter did. All right, so set, that's the first denial. The second denial kind of spans two, the two different sections of the story. So we're going to read verse 18, and then we're going to jump down to verse 25. And we're going to see about the second time Peter denied. It says this, and notice the setup. Notice the, the, the detail that's included here. Verse 18, it was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Bad enough for Peter to deny his Lord, his friend, his Savior one time. But that's not the end of it. Now he finds himself inside of this courtyard and it's dark, it's the middle of the night, they're tired, and people are doing what people do. The way it's described gives us like the scenario, the setup. And so they've built a fire, and everybody's gathered around that fire, and Peter has a choice. He's come into the courtyard, but he's got a choice. He can stand off by himself, off in the dark, or he can join the crowd. Right? Standing off in the dark by yourself will get you what? Cold? noticed, questioned, you stick out. You draw attention to yourself. Maybe for Peter, in this moment where he doesn't know what he thinks, that's the worst possible scenario. So what does he do? He uses a tool that you and I use all the time. He thinks, I want to blend in. I just want to be a part of the group, and so I'm going to blend in. Where everybody else is, what everybody else is doing, I'm going to do that. And so he goes and he blends in because he wants to cover up any reason to feel left out, to feel different, to feel like he sticks out or draws attention. And man, oh man, isn't this a powerful tool in the hands of our enemy? You know, you live and work in a world that denies Christ, that walks away from Christ, and there is a huge pressure on you to live like it too. Like what this this word says isn't true. Like purity doesn't matter. Like your language doesn't matter. Like your values don't matter. Like you've got to live for all you can while you're here because that's the end of it. There's huge pressure on us every day. Whether you're a a student in school or whether you work out in the secular world or whether you just turn on the TV. Doesn't matter. You hear it all the time. There's a huge pressure to blend in, isn't there? So what are you going to do? Peter chose to blend in. It was his tool. It was his coping mechanism. First thing I notice is the context that puts that social and emotional pressure on him to blend in. And so I say to you today, where does your desire to fit in lead you to essentially live denying Jesus? You don't speak up because you don't want to be the crazy person who's all about Jesus. You don't draw boundaries in your life that say, I won't do this and I won't do that because Jesus is in charge of my life and I trust him with my life. He did a pretty good job with my sin stuff, so I think I'm going to trust him with the rest of it too. Nope, don't want to stick out like that. Just blend right in. I'm not saying you got to stick out because you're a jerk, because you're obnoxious, because you're judgmental, because you're full of pride. I'm not saying that. But that's not what Peter's struggling with here, is it? He's struggling with, I don't want anybody to say to me, you go with Jesus, don't you? And you know that pressure, and you know that feeling. Peter says, I want to act like belonging to Jesus is something to hide. Do we do the same thing? In your week, in your day, do you testify with your words and your choices that you believe Jesus is the greatest person you know? Or do you act like you don't even know him? Do you act like it's something to keep secret? Second thing I notice is that Peter had enough about him that when he had said, no, I don't know him the first time, They didn't buy it. They weren't like, oh, he doesn't know. Didn't you hear he said to the servant girl he doesn't know him? Oh, yeah, yeah. They didn't buy it. In other words, there was enough about Peter that even though he said, I don't know him, they were like, I think you do. I think you know him. For all else that Peter did wrong, at least he had that. I think for me, the greatest fear is if I denied Christ, people would believe it. If I were to be somebody that said, I have nothing to do with Jesus, and we were like, that sounds about right. Man, isn't that horrible right? Do we live for Christ enough? Has he affected our life enough that when I deny him, people are like, something's wrong with you. Or when I deny him, people are like, yeah, that seems like that's just about right. What we're doing as we live our lives trying to fit into places that we have no business trying to fit into that are going to destroy us, and we even know they're going to destroy us, but we act like they're the hope for our lives, is we live like we can have Jesus, but we can set him aside. Right? Right? We can make him like peripheral to our lives. We can sweep him into the background of our lives. Let's not get too crazy about this religious stuff. Let's not be too like explicit about Jesus in my life. I at least have to give Peter credit for this. At least he had enough about him that was connected to Jesus that when he said, no, I don't know him, they said, I think you do. Third time Peter denied him, verses 26 and 27. Here's what it is. It says, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose Peter ear- whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, was Peter afraid of being identified with Christ in the garden? But all of a sudden he is. And it's... Seems like this is the same group of people. The people who came in the courtyard were the the, the soldiers and the officials. Same group of people. So you can understand why Peter was maybe a little bit scared of being identified. Because he was the one who took out the sword and cut off the ear. And he gets challenged here. The relative of of Malchus, whose ear had been cut off, is is kind of challenging him. is kind of accusing him. Hey, aren't you the guy with the sword? You just said you don't know Jesus, but I saw you cut off my cousin's ear or whatever, whatever relative he was. I saw you. So there's an accusation. And what Peter wants to do is he wants to hide his past. What I did before, I don't want it to come and affect my life now. What happened in the past, I don't want it to have any part in the present. And so he just tries to lie his way out of his past. I think we've all been in the place where we try to hide something from our past. Maybe like Peter, it's something you did that you don't want these people to know about, and so you just lie because that's going to solve it. Maybe it's some other part of your past, some kind of a secret that you just think, the answer to my life is if nobody finds this out. Peter lived trying to shadow what he had done in this moment, and it caused him to deny Christ. It caused him to think that he had to manage the consequences of his past. He had to make sure that his past didn't come back to hurt him. But when we live like that, what we wind up testifying to, what we kind of wind up living like is true is this, that my past is bigger than my God. I mean, we say he's my savior, he's my redeemer, but we don't act like it. We act like I don't want to give him my past and let him redeem it. I just want to hide my past so it doesn't hurt me. But then it hurts you. I've never known somebody who held a secret in fear of it being discovered where it didn't own you and control you and bind you. That's what it does. That's what secrets do. But we have a healer. We have a savior, someone who you can take your past and give it to, and they can be the hope for your life. Peter acts like distancing himself from Jesus is going to keep him safe. It's going to be the biggest regret probably of his whole life. We live like Jesus is not enough for my past, like Jesus is not enough for my future. And so Peter, around the fire, has just denied Christ, and then one of the servants says to him, hey, I think you are one of those people. This time we don't see the words Peter said, but we see something even more tragic. The the man is saying, weren't you with him? Weren't you part of his group? Don't you belong to Jesus? And Peter denies it. A complete denial. Not just a, no, I'm not his disciple. More like a, I don't know him. He's not anybody that I know or care about. I have nothing to do with him. Jesus and I do not go together. Stop putting us together. That's kind of the emphasis of Peter's denial. Which is, as you watch it, it gets stronger over time. His denial gets stronger. As you read other accounts, his denial gets stronger. So how did Peter get there? Well, The biggest answer, I think, is this. There is a momentum to all of our choices. When you decide to do something wrong and keep doing something wrong, it gets easier to do that wrong thing. There's a momentum to it. As a matter of fact, you can get far enough down the road where your choices carry you instead of you making your choices. It's almost past your ability to choose because there is so much momentum And so as I know something is wrong in the depths of my soul, I shouldn't do this, but I keep choosing it, it gets easier and easier to do it. It gets faster and faster and stronger and stronger. There's not even the internal struggle that was there before. I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't do this. The Bible calls that having your conscience seared, becoming desensitized to stuff that goes on around you. Do we live in a world that's desensitized like that? This is true for big stuff and little stuff. I mean, in in big ways and small ways, as we choose a pathway and we we keep choosing what is wrong, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, it gets easier and easier to choose that. Big things. Um, I don't know if you even have this on your radar, but I would say to you, one of the things that comes up to me all the time is how huge of an effect pornography has had on our culture, on our world. I don't think we even appreciate the effect it's having on relationships, on sexuality, on our child raising, on our homes, on, our, on what we see, on what we value, on what we glorify. We, have, we are so numbed out to it. Big thing. I, I was reading an article this week that talked about the impact of pornography, specifically violent pornography, on the sex lives of 12-year-olds. Huge effect that should shock us, but our world's kind of like, well, I don't know. I guess they should be learning about it when they're young. Big, big things. It gets easier and easier to go down that path as we go. Maybe you're somebody who blows up in anger, you know, and you don't even think about it anymore. As a matter of fact, you have all your excuses why it's okay for you to say all the things you say. You live in greed. You live like money is something to have. You live totally focused on how much money do I have and am I safe for the future? It's a big thing. It's a life thing, but it's easy for you to live like that because you've convinced yourself it's okay. But little things too. Little choices. Choices about what you're going to eat today. You're going to eat the right things. You're going to eat the wrong things. Choices about coming to church. You know, If you got up this morning and said to the rest of the people that you know, I'm not going to church today. Do they go, wait, wait, why? Why aren't we going to church? We always go to church. Or are they going, yep, that seems about right. Normal Sunday. Choices have a momentum, right? And they kind of carry you along with them. As you make choices, they keep carrying you along with them. The words that come out of your mouth, the language that you use, is it kind of like, you know, that carrying you along? Are you making choices to keep what comes out of your mouth, uh, recognizing that Jesus is Lord of my mouth too? We create patterns. We create destinations because we take paths. And even in our testimony, we are creating a pattern of what we testify to as being true. And so my big question for us today is just this. Is our life denying Jesus or testifying to him? Are we saying he is who he says he is? Are we saying we don't know him? We don't belong to him. I know as you walk out these doors, as you go to the rest of your life for the rest of this week, you will have a choice every single day, probably every single hour, to stand up or to fade into the background, to deny Him or to testify to Him. Do your words and your choices say you are a committed follower of Jesus or that you're trying to somehow find some middle ground or not be associated with Him at all? The song we're going to close with today is a song that was written as a testimony to the story that I I told you about Cassie at the beginning. It was a song that was sung actually at her funeral. Um, And it's a song that for us is just the simple challenge of she had a moment to make a choice. You're going to face a lot of moments this week. You're going to make a choice. This is your time. This is your moment. Are you going to stand up? Or are you going to run away from it? What are you going to do Maybe you're hanging out on the, the periphery of Christianity. You think that you can acknowledge it as true and just stay at arm's length from it. No, you can't. You're denying Christ by staying in the middle ground. You've got to come in. And it's great to come in. It's great to stick up for Jesus. One of Peter's greatest regrets in life was when they denied his Lord. So come in. But maybe, Christian, you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to live every day with those choices in front of you. How will you live? Who will you live for? What reputation will you live for? Who will you glorify? Who will you honor with your life? Will you live like Jesus is who he said he is? Or will you live denying Jesus?
1: test we could all hope to pass But none of us would want to take Faced with the choice to deny God and live For her there was one choice to make This was a time
0: Closing word of prayer, let's stand together.